guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday as we begin a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, we've got fantastic shows coming at you later in the week. We're going to get with Dinesh D'Souza who's got a very important new film out uh, coming out next week on the police state in America, and it's literally called Police State. So he's going to be here. As we have long talked about, the weaponization of our own government against us is the most dangerous threat we face, and we face a lot of immediate dangers here, including the threat of increased terrorism. We've got Iran marching toward a nuclear bomb. We've got China all over this country and increasingly aggressive all around the world, wanting world domination. We've got the Russians in Ukraine. I mean, we face a lot of threats. But the fact that our own government has turned against us, that is the greatest of them all, because it is our fellow Americans. It's not an external person Uh, wanting to blow us up. We have plenty of those, but our fellow Americans who want to imprison and destroy us, that takes a threat to a whole other level. So Dinesh D'Souza is going to be here on Thursday. Uh, Next week, we're also going to speak with Senator Rand Paul. He's going to join us. We've got Senator Ted Cruz lined up. Alveda King, Bill O'Reilly is going to be here. Natasha Owens and our good friend Kelsey Grammer with the reboot of Frasier, which is streaming now. So he's going to join us to tell us what that reboot experience was all about. Frasier, literally the best written, funniest sitcom in television history. Come at me. You want to fight me on that? Come at me. Monica Crowley podcast at (laughs) gmail.com. All right. Later today, we're going to talk about what is going down in Congress with an extraordinary member of Congress, Victoria Sparts of Indiana. She is the first Ukrainian-American member of Congress, born in Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union, grew up under the jackboot of the KGB. So she has some things to say about the speakership drama, as well as the, the funding battles. They literally have one month from today to figure that out again. Um, and also the weaponization of government. She brings a very unique perspective on that. So you are definitely going to want to hear that. Sit tight. But first, the Monica memo. Chaos in every direction. This is what happens when you have an American president who is inherently weak. The American president is the symbol of the country. And it started with George Washington, the father of our country. The father of our country, it is a paternal role. It is not a maternal role. Remember Hillary used to say, I want to be the mother of America. We don't need a mother. We need a strong father with a strong hand. And we had it under President Trump, of course. All of the great presidents are strong paternal figures for the country, from George Washington all the way through Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon, 
Those are the recent ones. But anytime you get a weak kind of maternal kind of figure, or not even maternal, I know plenty of strong mothers, um, but when you get a weak president who's just a weak read, like Joe Biden, well, the results are very predictable, right? You, you get the good guys retreating, the bad guys advancing, and the wheels come off the world. And we're seeing that now. So we've got chaos in every direction. Before we get to southern border here, because there's some breaking news about that, there is a speakership race. We are going to talk to Congresswoman Sparks about how all of this is unfolded. Um, I am talking to you in the morning on Tuesday, October 17th. By the time you hear this show later today, we may have a speaker. It may be Jim Jordan. But as I talked to you this morning, uh, Jordan does not have the vote. So we will keep a close eye on this and watch it. He did win over a number of holdouts, including Mike Rogers and Wagner and a couple of other rhinos who were throwing up all kinds of stumbling blocks and said that they were not going to vote for him. Well, politics is about trading horses, right? So I'm sure they got something. They got some promise out of Jordan. That's the way it works. Um, And of course, you know, we could call it corrupt and, uh, you know, it is, but this is the way politics works. It's horse trading. So I'm sure they got something, uh, some committee assignment or whatever to, uh, to assure Jordan of their votes. But he is still, as of this moment, falling short. They'll probably have to go to multiple votes like they did last time with McCarthy. And we will see how it unfolds. Uh, hopefully we'll have an answer by Thursday's show here, but we'll keep a close eye on that. Um, the, the chaos is actually important, and I just want to give all of us a shout out for making this happen. My choice is Jim Jordan. I think he's going to be an extraordinary speaker, and he is where the Republican base is. We really need a speaker who is where the base is. The base is America first. We need a speaker who gets that, who understands that, appreciates that, and will not sell us out. McCarthy was selling us out. McCarthy was just a horse trader. McCarthy was about raising money, building up the majority, which is all to the good. But then the next logical question is, to what end? What is the point of building up your Republican majority? Is it power for power's sake, or is it power for what you can do with it? And in McCarthy's case, and again, you know, he's a nice man, but he didn't quite understand that. He wasn't where America First is. He wasn't reflecting that and leading based on that. And he wasn't bringing the caucus along to where the American people are demanding an end to the endless Ukraine aid, uh, border security, reigning in spending. This is where the Republican base is, and he was doing none of of that. His focus was on sort of the, the swamp, the establishment, doing things as they have always been done. Well, that ship has sailed. That train has left the station. We are long past that. So we have always said we need a speaker, we need a leader of our party, absent President Trump, who is the actual leader of of our party, but he is not in office now. He will be again in a little while, but he's not there yet. We got to get him there. But we need a leader on Capitol Hill who understands how late it is in this country, who understands the nature of the internal threat, who gets that we are in a war and is willing to fight it. 
Jim Jordan is all of those things. So let's hope that he ends up with the speaker's gavel, but we will keep a close eye on that. Now, turning to uh, the real chaos here, the chaos that that actually matters uh, to all of us, the chaos at the border. We have now seen this unspeakable act of terrorism occur in Israel at the hands of Hamas, which is really at the hands of Iran, the world's biggest state sponsor of terror. Uh, And Biden's support of Iran is what led to this attack in Israel that has claimed now, what, I think 1,600 lives in Israel, including 27 Americans are now dead. We have about the same number also being held hostage uh, by Hamas, along with hundreds of others of Israelis uh, and others being held hostage by Iran being held hostage by Hamas. So all of this is still ongoing. This terrorist attack is a rolling attack. It is still ongoing. And the Israelis are now fighting back. Um, It it looks like ground invasion could begin. Uh, It looks maybe like Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, has put a little delay on that. So we'll see what's going on. But with every passing moment, Pressure will build on the Israelis not to go in and do what thoroughly needs to be done, which is clean out Hamas. So they have to move with all deliberate speed. They have a little window of time here where they have the world's sympathy because of these unspeakable acts of of terrorism, brutality, just absolute massacres of babies and children and, and babies being cut out of the womb and thrown on the street, elderly being shot at bus stops. They have the sympathy of the world, but it's not going to last much longer. And they know that. So we will watch how all of this unfolds. But it's the Biden administration support of Iran that began under Barack Obama. People forget Biden was Obama's vice president. It was the Obama-Biden team's embrace of the terrorist mullahs in Iran with the nuclear deal and everything else. We talked about this last week. Go back and listen to that show. I break it all apart. But it's their embrace of the Iranian uh, theocracy, the Ayatollahs in Iran over this uh, absurdly destructive nuclear deal. And again, the, the, the motivation could be kickbacks to Biden, to Obama, to everybody else in America embracing this nuclear deal. I don't know, but it's worth billions and the release of billions of dollars. Are they getting kickbacks We just saw what happened uh, while Biden was vice president with the huge Ukrainian kickbacks and the Chinese kickbacks and the tens of millions of dollars that the Biden family got while he was sitting in office. So it would be nice to know if some of these billions are getting into the pockets of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. I don't know. I have no evidence of that. I'm speculating here, but it would be nice to know. Let's rule that out. Otherwise, what is the motive for embracing Iran? There really is no other logical explanation unless they genuinely want Iran to have a bomb. And that could very well be. So Iran is behind all of this. Uh, Since Biden became president, he has unfrozen about $10 billion to that regime. 
everybody is focused on the six billion. And then there was a report last week that said Qatar and the U.S. have uh, come to a quiet agreement not to release that six billion. Who knows if that's true? That was then countered. I don't know what the facts are on that yet. But everybody's focused on the six billion. Since he became president, he is already unfrozen about ten billion. And then with Biden's lax enforcement of the sanctions against the Iranian regime, he has allowed Iran to make about $80 billion in oil profits. So we're talking about $100 billion flowing into Tehran to the Ayatollahs to support terrorism against Israel and us around the world since Joe Biden became president. And again, I ask you, what is the motivation here? That's the real question, and we don't have an answer to that yet. So knowing what we know about the Iranian regime and what they are capable of, what they are actually doing against Israel and against Americans and, and American interests around the world, and what they have been doing for nearly 45 years with regard to terror... Listen to this. Illegal aliens obviously are streaming across the wide open border and have been now for three years under Biden. And guess what? Just this month, and we're only on what? October 17th, just this month, two weeks in, two illegal immigrants from Iran have crossed the border and have had encounters with our border patrol. Since October 1st, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has apprehended at least two Iranians at the border who are on the terrorist watch list. This according to Fox's Griff Jenkins, who broke the story yesterday, quote, CBP sources confirmed to Fox at least two known instances of Iranians apprehended at the border hitting the terrorist screening database or terrorist watch list raising red flags that they could pose a significant security threat in first two weeks of fiscal year 24, meaning the first two weeks of October. From October 1, 2022 through August 31st of this year, Customs and Border Protection reported encountering 151 illegal aliens on the terrorist watch list between ports of entry on the southern border, plus 76 more at other ports of entry. This number, of course, does not include an unknown number of gotaways who successfully evaded border patrol and melted into the country. The number of illegal aliens on the terrorist watch list encountered by border patrol on the southern border has risen dramatically in the past four years from just three in fiscal year 2020, three while Trump was still president, to 15 in fiscal year 2021, to 98 in fiscal 2022, to now over 151 in fiscal 2023. So we went from 11 total in all four years of President Trump's presidency, 11 suspected terrorists total in four years, to now well over, what, 250 Some people suspect 400, and those are the ones who are encountering Border Patrol. We have no idea how many have come in who have just evaded Border Patrol and are in the country and in our cities and God knows where. 
So these are folks who are actually on the terrorist watch list. If you're not on the watch list and you're a terrorist, well, we have no idea. We have no idea who you are, what your motivations are, and where you are in the country. The U.S. Border Patrol has encountered over 72,000, quote, special interest aliens on America's borders over the past two years, many from the Middle East. Special interest alien is a government term used to refer to an illegal immigrant from a nation that promotes terrorist activity, harbors terrorists, or poses a national security threat to the United States. Border Patrol agents encountered over 6,000 nationals from Afghanistan between October of 21 and October of 23 this month, as well as over 3,000 from Egypt, 659 from Iran, and 538 from Syria. Fox's Bill Malugin, who has been fantastic on the border, reports that in those two years, Border Patrol agents also encountered 139 illegals from Yemen, 123 from Iraq, 164 from Lebanon, over 1,600 from Pakistan, over 15,000 from Mauritania, over 13,000 from Uzbekistan, and well over 30,000 from Turkey. President Trump says when he is reelected, he is going to reinstate the travel ban from terrorist hotbeds, which Joe Biden reversed. This is Trump yesterday on the subject. Listen. I will immediately reinstate and expand the wildly successful Trump travel ban on entry from terror play countries, territories and places. We're going to we're going to. They ended it. They ended it. And it just kept us safe. We wouldn't let people come in from certain countries where there's tremendous terror. Makes sense, right? He also included a vow to suspend all refugee resettlement efforts by the State Department and to implement ideological screening for all immigrants. He further vowed to deport aliens with jihadist sympathies as well and revoke student visas of you know, people who are radically anti-American and anti-Semitic. This is a very, very critical policy statement from this president because you know what? All of the other issues that we talk about do not matter if we are all dead. I don't care what you think of Donald Trump. This alone this policy alone of paired with shutting and, and basically putting the military on our southern border, enforcing the border, and then this a travel ban from terrorist hotbeds around the world, those two policies alone are worth voting for Donald Trump for. Set aside a booming economy, set aside law and order, all, crime, all of the stuff that he is so strong on and has a real track record on and will do again in the next four years, set aside all of that. Just vote on enforcing the border, national security, and the travel ban. Because you know what? All the other stuff you care about does not matter one iota if we are all dead. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk with Congresswoman Victoria Smarts of Indiana about the speaker's race, about the weaponization of government, and so much more. Sit tight.
All right, guys, welcome back. I am so happy to have with us here today Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of Indiana. Congresswoman Sparts immigrated legally to the United States in the year 2000 after meeting her husband. She became a U.S. citizen. She worked her way up from being a bank teller to a CPA to a finance executive, successful business owner, and Indiana State Senator. She wanted to give back to this country that had been so good to her. Congresswoman Sparts worked in the big four public accounting firms for the Fortune 500 companies. She also taught as an adjunct faculty member at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, and if that weren't enough, served as the CFO at the Indiana Attorney General's office. She now serves in Congress the people of Indiana, and she is truly the American dream. I am honored to call her a friend, and she joins us now. Congresswoman, such a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. Well, it's always a joy to talk to you because you bring such a unique perspective, having been born in Ukraine. And I do want to talk to you about that. Uh, But I do want to start with all of this drama over the speakership Uh, We are speaking this morning, Tuesday morning, October 17th. Uh, There will be a vote called on the floor. So by the time people hear this show, we may have a speaker or we may not have a speaker. But can you walk us through this process and what it's been like for you as a sitting member of Congress in the Republican conference as we have struggled to find someone (laughs) to not just lead the the conference, but lead the House? Well, I think... It is a very important decision. And I'll be honest with you, it's good that we have these deliberations. It's good that we hold our leaders accountable. You know, we had, uh, you know, Queen Pelosi, uh, you know, governing with an iron fist. And uh, when Kevin decided to be a speaker, I was a person who actually objected uh, for him to try to intimidate conservatives into voting for him. I said, Republicans are not sheep. We are not going to be run by tyranny, and we're going to restore some accountability, including a motion to vacate, which will hold our leaders accountable, because if our party doesn't deliver, you know, the other party is too far gone, and we have to deliver and win against them. So we need to govern, not to do politicking and fundraising. We need to deliver policies. And uh, Kevin didn't listen until I started voting present. Then he did listen, and... You know, we had to go through a lot of drama, but unfortunately, uh, when you try to force people to vote under public pressure, at some point you will have a real hard time governing. And that's what's big reason why he got vacated, including some other policy failures he had. You know, now we have another deliberation. And when Steve didn't have the vote, I personally went to Steve and I said, Steve, don't try to force people to vote for you under pressure on the floor. If you don't have the vote, you need to step down, which he did. And I actually appreciate it. That's what statesmen's like to do. I said exactly the same thing to Jim when we abruptly ended our meeting on Friday night and Kevin McCarthy announced you know, that we'll have Speaker Jordan on Tuesday I don't think we have kings and successors, you know. We also have, you know, tyranny. We don't have tyranny of big money and tyranny of leadership. We have to deliberate and to come to the decisions. So I'm be very disappointed if Jim doesn't have his votes and forces on the floor. And I said myself, 
if you do that, I will not vote for you on the floor. I, one advantage I have been letter S that helps me a little bit. I never appreciate it. Have been at the end of the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> Sparts, yes, that's right. <laughs> that gives you a bit of an advantage. Um, what about what do you say, Congresswoman, to people who say, "Look, Nancy Pelosi did rule with an iron fist, and she kept the Democratic Caucus completely in line," but that that is actually a strength for the left. That's a strength for the Democrats because they walk in lops, lockstep, because nobody wanders off the reservation. They can actually proceed with all deliberate speed, and they can get their agenda done. Whereas our side, you know, I, I agree with you. I think we should have these healthy debates. I think that's more healthy for our republic and the way things should be done. But when the other side is walking in lockstep and our side is all over the place and, and can't really get its act together, does that not put us at a disadvantage? No, I don't think it does, because if we're going to be also governed by tyranny of big money is the other side, which very radical big money, you know, then we're going to fail our republic, you know, and we're failing our people right now because big money have so much influence in Washington, D.C. And if we're going to have a speaker that is also going to be, you know, <laughs> compliant with the wishes, not the people, but with big money machine here we're not going to deliver anything good you know for the people so i think we have to be able to challenge our speaker and say let's you know go beyond politics not worrying about next election i think good policy actually good politics and actually do something but it's very difficult because this place hasn't been governed for very very long time and money machine has so much control right now that it's very difficult to stand up. So we do need to have a person who's able to do it. And unfortunately, Kevin was not really the guy, mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. So we'll see if Jim has a chance to do it. But, you know, most of the time, you know, if you not listen to your members and you, you will not be governing for the good of this country. Well, that's exactly right. And whoever is the speaker has to listen to the Republican base voters, the Republican base voters. And you know this very well because you represent them so well. Um, and you have your ear to the ground. You know what the grassroots believes. You know what they think. They are America first. Um, and they are absolutely appalled by a lot of the policy that a lot of Republicans voted for and supported and that Kevin McCarthy shepherded through, including billions of dollars more in Ukraine aid, right? So we should be having these debates, but you also need to know where your base voters are. And if you're not representing them, if you're not reflecting their views, if you're not even listening to them, then what kind of real leader are you? Well, listen, and I think that is a challenge. Like, uh, if I look at the state of Indiana, actually, I'm the only person, you know, you know at the federal level that doing town halls with my constituency. Because I want to hear from people and not be afraid to tell people the truth and have that discussion. You know, I came from grassroots of Republican politics. You know, I was elected by the people. My party, you know, was afraid of me more than of Democrats because, you know, I'm an independent thinker and I'm not going to just, you know, tell what they tell me to do. I will do whatever the right thing to, is to do. And not very many, you know, party doesn't like people like me. So I do appreciate, you know, 
that I've gotten and why I've gotten. And I appreciate common sense, good Americans that work extremely hard, and the government abandoned that. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, it's very bad. And we have to make sure that my party is better. And if I'm not willing, it's much harder, it's much easier to complain about the other side, you know, and blame them for everything. So much harder to hold your own party accountable. And that is really shows you as a person, if you're able to challenge your own, own party, if you're not able to do it and just try to, you know, gain, you know, uh, power and gain positions, then you're not worthy to, to represent the people. Absolutely right. And I love your passion. You know, there's a saying, nobody has passion like the passion of the converted. And although, you know, the saying applies to religion when people find a different faith and then they've, they have all of this energy and passion for it, you know, you came from deep oppression. You came from communist country. Uh, you were, you are the first Ukrainian American, uh, member of Congress born in Ukraine uh, as part of the Soviet Union. You were under the jackboot of the KGB. So you have a very unique perspective on the dangerous abuses of power that are being inflicted on the American people today. Um, And I want to ask you about that because a couple of weeks ago, you had the Attorney General Merrick Garland in front of you in Congress, and your questioning of him, as well as your statements to him, went viral, and rightfully so, because you were so passionate about describing the similarities of what you saw under the KGB, under the jackboot of communist oppression, where people had no rights, and the knock at the door, and all of the abuses that you grew up with, you we're seeing here in the United States. So you did not leave that to come to America to also experience it here. And Merrick Garland sat there and he took it uh, from you. But of course, he had no answers because he is leading the charge along with his boss, President Biden. So what 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 is your sense of where we are in America today, Victoria? I mean, the weaponization the weaponization of our most fearsome government agencies is really the most dangerous threat we face, is it not? For sure. You know, uh, if Americans accept the tyranny of its going government, our republic fails. And I think we need to, you know, really, on a bipartisan basis, that shouldn't be a partisan issue. We really need to stand up against tyranny. A lot of Americans died for us to have free republic. We're not perfect by any means, but anything else around the world, it is total tyranny and disaster and if we fail there is no hope for anyone else and i think this republic is you know it's an experiment that lasted for a while now but we need to remember that you know greece fail roman republic fail even people stop paying attention what government is doing and what's happening here sometimes you know it sadly reminds me like you know rome is burning you know, what's mm-hmm. happening here, how big money, tyranny of big money, you know, tyranny of government, you know, government is used against people to suppress your opinion. Listen, I, most of the time I don't disagree with my husband, you know, but the, no one has a right if you don't harm people to tell you how you should think. People should have the right to oppose and peacefully protest the government. You know, they shouldn't be called terrorists if they go and come to school board meetings and say, we don't believe our children are taught 
properly. And it's true. Schools became political machine and kids are stressed out. And it's really sad. It's a national security issue what's happening in our schools. But everyone is getting intimidated. Everyone is starting to be crucified in the matter of public opinion, which is so wrong. And when I said sometimes, you know, in this committees and kind of joking and thinking, oh, you know, what is the FBI is going to do for us, you know, with us? And I'm thinking like, you know, sometimes I seriously have that thought in my mind. And I'm thinking, this is terrible. You know, I grew up in this thought. I grew up under communists. You know, I saw what happened in mob, when mob rule and communists fell apart. You know, Soviet Union fell apart. It was fewer bandages, mob rule. I saw what that means. And you see how, you know, Ukrainian people, you know, trying to get the freedoms back through bloodshed now for a very long time, still not cannot get them back. And we are not valuing what we have we have to start thinking as Americans, what makes us the greatest country in the world? People all the same, all around the world. Freedom, only freedom makes us the greatest country in the world. And if we lose our freedoms and we accept tyranny, we're going to fail and we cannot accept it. And maybe it's, you know, just like if you put a frog in the boiling water that made me crazy enough to become a politician, <laughs> and it breaks my heart. It really does. It breaks all of our hearts. But, you know, we're all fighting back in different ways. And you put yourself on the line to run for Congress to fight back on Capitol Hill, which you're doing so well. But it really does feel like the hour is very late in this country, right? I mean, it feels you lived it, you know what this experience is like. And for so many Americans, who still don't get it because they, they just assume, well, we have a constitution, we've got a bill of rights, we've got three branches of government, you've got, you, you can redress your grievances to your government, you can go to court, you can have the judicial system figure it out for you. But all of those institutions have become incredibly corrupted by the left over many decades. This didn't just happen under Biden or under Obama. This has been going on a long time. And it did start as a KGB operation in the 1930s. 30s to get in here and undermine us from within. So, you know, for people who think, well, the next election will fix it. No, this is this is a long-term project to turn the country around and get it out of the grip of the communist left. For sure, I would say in early 1900s, you know, mm, a lot of mm-hmm. things that happened with the amendment-style constitution, 1617 amendments really create a lot of distortion to the check and balances that existed and were founding principles of our republic. You know, so it's been going on for a while, so it's very difficult, you know, to reverse it. But, you know, I still believe, you know, like, you know, in the power of an ordinary American. You know, I would have never been in the United States Congress, even wounded just for normal people supporting me. It's still, you know, we're still a country where someone can come from nothing, you know, speaking, not knowing one person, speaking with my Yankee accent and being very powerful institutions elected by the people and represent the people, we still have an opportunities for people and for people to pursue happiness. It's getting harder and harder. I can see how much harder it is. You know, I work in large corporate America, you know, dealt with fortune companies, and then I started my own businesses, and I'm like, OMG, as a small business owner, 
you get screwed from all directions. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to, to actually start your own business anymore. We become big oligopoly driven, oligarchs driven country and they sit in Washington DC, spend a lot of money, don't follow the laws. You know, we create a lot of loopholes here and how can you compete as a little guy in every system? You know, you know, my start ruling and controlling and that is the big problem because you know we will have all different desires. You know, we will have different things that we want to pursue of life, but our public you know, to protect our rights to life liberty and property and if our rights are not equally protected and only protected for very few with money that is going to be downfall so we have to stand up and not to be afraid even when our party is doing the wrong thing and just say no 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 it's not acceptable you know if we can win and do the right thing in our party then we can win the other side because i still truly believe most Americans don't want to live under dictatorship and tyranny, under socialism and communism. I still believe we, Americans do not. But Americans being used and, you know, and poor people always used. And, you know, it's Karl Marx 101. The class warfare, race warfare is being used to promote agenda and we need to become more transparent and call spade a spade and not be afraid to tell the truth. Yes, and that's what makes your voice so incredibly valuable on Capitol Hill and on shows like this, Victoria, because we we need your experience, we need your wisdom to wake people up in this country because too many of us are still going along. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just don't necessarily see the threat, especially if they vote Democrat or on the left. They're not in the crosshairs of this weaponized government and the slide of this country into a socialist or even communist kind of place. And that's why we need you raising the bell. Um, before we let you go, you you guys in Congress, you have a, a busy few weeks in front of you. You have until November 17th. So really just one month from today to settle on spending bills, or we're going to get another continuing resolution to keep the government funded, or we're going to get a government shutdown. How do you think the next couple of weeks are going to unfold? Well, I think we need to, you know, the most important job of Congress, and really that's why we have a power of a purse, you know, is actually oversee spending. If we're not doing our job, we can send as many letters as we want to FBI and DOJ. They don't care about our letters. You know, they come here all prepared not to answer questions for five minutes. They know it very well. Unless we start taking money from these agencies and hold them accountable, explain what are they doing with our money, we're worthless here. And majority of our spending is not authorized by Congress, but we continue giving this money. So I think we need to be serious and not to be afraid to go and actually challenge some of these programs that some of us can be attacked for because they will try to spin it. They will try to, you know, create negative advertising and we shouldn't be afraid to talk, communicate and explain to that. So I think we have to continue with the appropriation process. If we have to extend it, you know, we should actually, you know, require something from Democrats. We should look at having at that commission, maybe at least next debt ceiling increase. We give blank check, but until the end of next year, very destructive for us not to have policy to deal with national debt. But you cannot do it overnight. This problem was created by many Congresses. Let's put together 
a group of people, bipartisan, bicameral, and let's work on some reasonable policies to start move the needle on our national debt because inflation will destroy middle class and opportunities for poor people. And really, debt can destroy our country, undermine our currencies. There are a lot of implications of large national debt, very bad ones. You know, then maybe deal with Democrats and demand some border security in return for some CR, you know, and just say, it, it's insanity. This is a national security risk and we involve with a lot of worldwide crises over there too and have open borders where we don't even know who is crossing that border. It is it's very dangerous. So I think we need to have some demands while we're working on this appropriation, but we need to start go back to appropriation authorization, at least incrementalists that move the needle because we haven't past appropriations now for decades. I mean, this is unacceptable, but we have to force the Senate to doing it. They're not taking us seriously right now, but to be able to win, we have to get out and get our American people with us. That is the only way we'll be able to push on the Senate and President only, only if we get American people with us, and we cannot do it last second and expect things happen. You know, day before the government shutdown, is not going to look good. So we need to become proactive and start communicating with the people to put pressure on the other side. This is what happens all the time. Congress does not act unless their back is up against the wall and they, they start acting with their hair on fire. They push it all every single time. It's pushed till midnight of the day of. It is extremely frustrating for someone like me, a voter like me, Victoria, who, who like has things planned out weeks in advance. When I see Congress not moving, not planning, not having months and months to do this kind of stuff and then doesn't do it until they're in a panic at midnight on the the deadline day. It is extremely frustrating. You know, your point about the national debt, it is a national security issue at this point and has been for a long time. We have to get our spending under control, but Congress has no incentive to do that. But someday soon, the laws of economics are going to force Congress to do it, and it's not going to be pretty. Unfortunately, we've been governing by crisis, not by leadership for right. a very long time. And a lot of crises are coming, and they're going to hurt people who rely on some of this program the most. You know, it's going to hurt Americans. It's really going to be hurt significantly. And unfortunately, we have too many people here, one in power, one to have positions, but not think what are the implications for the real people, because a lot of them haven't lived around real people for a very long time. They live in Washington, D.C. They hear people in Washington, D.C. It's young kids, college graduates, looking for a better job, and this job is a stepstone, so they're generally clueless, or people who've been there forever. You know, all people that have their own agenda, so they're not even getting out, so they don't understand what the real life is. And a lot of people come here. You know, even some people that we might think they're great presenters on TV, on, on Fox News. We're not fighting China on Fox News, okay? We have to go in the trenches. These people never been in the trenches. They could do a great deal of talk and do messaging bill, but never deliver anything. So no one is held accountable for results here, including Republicans. And the other side has a very radical agenda. You know, but we are not fighting. So they're advancing the agenda and we're doing presentations, writing books, giving speeches and doing messaging. Bill. No one cares about that. So I think we need to force Republicans to govern and we need to have some leadership and force leaders to be accountable to the people. And I think that is important that we do have this fight, that our 
speaker, whoever is going to be next speaker, knows that he or she are not there forever. And they can't be taken down if they don't deliver. It's important to have that. That rule existed in Congress for over 100 years for a reason, because we do not want to have queens and kings. Well, that's exactly right. Um, final question for you before we let you go. Are you, wh- what do you make of um, uh, the, the move for additional funding for Ukraine? We've already sent about, what, $115, $120 billion in aid and military aid and so on over to Ukraine. As you well know, that government is extremely corrupt. Uh, they are still fighting the Russians, but there is there's a movement on both sides of the aisle to to increase the amount of aid that we are sending over there. Where do you stand on that? And where do you stand on the war? Where do you think that is? Well, listen, I was the the only person last summer that demanded oversight, and I was actually criticized by all of the sides and dragged through mud. How? congresswoman can ask for the side of the money i'm like seriously i couldn't believe that you know but you know i'm okay even if sometimes i have to stand alone i will do that you know i think it's a very serious war it's a very important war but it's also important for us to have accountability and strategy know where the money goes because unfortunately from over 100 million that were you know supposedly going to ukraine a lot of them don't go directly to Ukraine. They don't even know what goes to Ukraine, other causes. It became like a slush fund for the administration. And I think they need to tell Congress what's going on, why we're sending, you know, not weapons, but other things, and where we're sending them. Because ultimately, when you deal with aggressors like Putin, they only understand power. Mm -hmm. That's why he didn't move and Trump was in charge, because he understood that Trump is not just going to be sending blankets. He, you know, he was the first one who actually sent Ukraine weapons. That was deterrence. You know, we didn't do deterrences. We fell in Afghanistan. It was a very failed withdrawal. We abandoned our allies. So I think it's a very serious war. It also has a lot of implication because, you know, we, you know, Ukraine used to be the third largest nuclear country. You know, we rightly so forced Ukraine to give up their nuclear weapons. You know, and, um, you know, for, in the exchange for assurances, you know, well, now they're fighting a very big war and there is no deterrence they have. So if we're going to create now an environment that each country will start thinking, if I don't have nuclear weapons, I don't have any deterrence. That's not very good because some of these countries having nuclear weapons could be danger for all of us. So I think we need to think smartly, but the only way we need to oversee this aid more properly and send really just make sure that it goes to the weapons to military so then we can you know force russia to get to the table you know that's the only way it's going to happen and unfortunately you know biden been very weak with slow working aid and doing a lot of politics and not dealing with it more seriously and properly yeah, and not focusing on our own border, as you point out. You know, our own border has to come first, and it is extremely dangerous what's gone on here in the last three years. We have been completely flooded and infiltrated with all kinds of threats, from terrorists to the drug cartels to fentanyl, and, and you've been all over this. So we thank you for that. We thank you so much for your time today, too. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of Indiana, I really appreciate you and your friendship and your courage and your strength to stand up in your own party, but also for the country at large. Really, God bless you. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. But we need to understand if we don't keep our republic strong, there is no hope for anyone else. So we have to get our republic back together and deliver. And I will hold my party accountable because we have some major issues and we have to win. You are such an important voice. Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. thank you. All right, guys, that is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great start to your week. And I will see you right back here on Thursday with a brand new show. We're going to talk to Dinesh D'Souza about police state. Uh, Biden is going to Israel tomorrow, so we'll be all over that, the speaker's race, and so much more. Tell everybody you know about the Monica Crowley Show. You don't want anybody to have FOMO. You're going to get the truth right here. I'll see you on Thursday. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bahakel Entertainment, LLC.